Oh, hey, Captain Miles of Earth-12496. So, running into you and the rest of the Captain Miles Corps here in Otherworld made me think of all the different Captain Britons in the Captain Britain Corps. Some of them are pretty weird. Why, hello, Captain Miles of Earth-1218. It is good to see you and our other bearded brethren. Weird, you say? I caution you to remember, weird is relative. I mean, fair enough, fair enough, but, but still, hippie Captain Britain, dragon Captain Britain, robot Captain Britain. The multiverse is vast, good counterparts, but all of the variations of Brian Braddock pale in variety compared to those of his successor, his sister Elizabeth. Wait, there were wacky multiversal versions of Betsy Braddock, too, once she took over as Captain Britain? Oh, yes. We now have a druid Captain Britain, a werewolf Captain Britain. Oh, that's not that weird. A Captain Britain who is a master poet. That's even less weird. And is also a swan. What? I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 428 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, the outs, and the retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. And welcome to another long-time X-series that started in the 80s, coming to an end. That's right, we have at long last reached the final two issues of Excalibur. Excalibur, of course, has always been one of our very, very favorite comics. Uh, It has its ups, it has its downs. Uh, We hadn't been the biggest fans of this last major run of it. But now that we're in the end, man, I I feel so nostalgic. And also, rereading the last couple issues again, I really, really liked them overall. I like the penultimate issue more, I think, than the last issue. The last issue, when it's good, is very good, and when it's bad, is very bad. That's that's reasonable, and I know we're going to talk more about that, because I know there are some, some specific parts you are referring to. Don't invite Nazis to a wedding! Uh, that's just really good advice, everyone. Do not invite Nazis to a wedding. If you're having a wedding, no Nazis. Like, that's that's the top rule. This should be basic. I agree. I agree. Anyway. Anyway... So, this is the end of Excalibur, and perhaps even more than that, it is the culmination of many, many years of the story of Captain Britain and Megan, from even before Excalibur was a thing. So, let's talk a little bit about their deal and how they got here. A long time ago, uh, in a galaxy remarkably similar to our own, but in a different uh, dimension of the multiverse, wealthy aspiring scientist Brian Braddock was dipped in magic and clothed in science by the wizard Merlin and became Captain Britain. A bit after he was Spider-Man's roommate, he traded his initial red pajamas for a much better costume, got written by Alan Moore and drawn by Alan Davis, and was introduced, as were we, to a new Marvel concept, the multiverse. It turned out that there were infinite universes, and not only that, but each one of those universes was protected by its own version of Captain Britain. And at the center of the entire multiverse was the headquarters of the Captain Britain Corps, a magical dimension called Otherworld. After various multiversal adventures, and at least one death, Captain Britain met a young, abandoned monster lady named Megan, who pretty much became a sidekick for a while. She didn't stay a monster lady for that long, though, because at one point our heroes fought a group of mutated children called the Warpies, and thanks to one Warpie's power, Megan's form changed to match what she assumed Brian wanted to see, which is to say she became extremely conventionally attractive. 
we would eventually see her true, true form, which was a sparkly fairy form, uh, because her elemental and empathic powers are both mutant and fairy in nature. We've covered it. Don't worry too much about it now. After all of that, Brian and Megan fell in love and were pretty happy for a while. And, like, don't worry, their relationship thankfully became much less shallow and actually really great over time. And they even had some decent conversations, particularly about the weird way it started. So, like, that's cool. We, we like where they ended up. Unfortunately, meanwhile, the majority of the X-Men seemingly died during Fall of the Mutants, including Brian's twin sister, the X-Men Psylocke. And Brian was predictably not wildly happy about this. He fell into alcoholism, but he did still manage to lead a new team of heroes called Excalibur. That was him and Megan, but also three of the surviving X-Men, Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, and Phoenix. Uh, Rachel Summers Phoenix, not the Jean Greyish one. Everyone learned and grew over the course of many years, and Brian and Megan eventually decided to get married. Uh, their engagement would turn out to be very, very long. Excalibur had many adventures across the multiverse, some silly, some serious, and eventually Captain Britain was somehow lost in the time stream. Between issues. He came back with a weird costume and dialect and started going by Britannic, um, but that's over now and we're not gonna worry about it. Also, he came back by virtue of Rachel jumping into the time stream to switch places with him, so she's now out of the picture. Alas, fate would mess with Brian again, and he ended up losing his Captain Britain powers while fighting some C-list villains called the Crimson Dawn, who were also the ones responsible for Sister Betsy's sweet facial tattoo. Newly depowered, Brian took a leave of absence from the team to get used to just being a person. And while he was gone, Megan, who was pretty lonely, uh, developed a one-sided crush on her good friend and teammate Colossus, who had joined Excalibur in the meantime. But when Brian finally came back to Excalibur's base on Muir Island, he told Megan they should finally have their long-delayed wedding. In, like, a week! Now, of course, this is a very, very rapid gloss of Excalibur, focused primarily on Captain Britain and Megan's relationship. It omits, for instance, Pete Wisdom in his entirety. Uh, there's a lot of Excalibur. If you want to know in more detail, you can go back and find the episodes uh, tagged Excalibur. Um on our website, and listen to them or not. The choice is yours. Either way, that brings us to the second-to-last issue of Excalibur, number 124, titled Someone. This issue is written by Ben Robb, penciled by Dale Eaglesham, inked by Scott Hanna, colored by Kevin Tinsley, and lettered by Richard Starkings and Comacraft. And the cover... The cover's actually really fun, if a little misleading. It's the various men of the team, including Mimic. Remember, Excalibur rescued a uh, Silver Age character Mimic recently from an evil lab, and they're all looking confused and horrified as this, like, shadowed, beefy, hairy person is jumping out of a cake. Who do you think it's supposed to be implied to be? Uh, okay, the figure's kind of blue, they're hairy, they have big muscles. What the hell's Hank McCoy doing over here? See, I would have expected, um, Wolverine. Because I feel like Wolverine jumping out of a cake is inherently funnier. Wolverine's also one of those characters, as we've learned recently, like, whatever he says his nature is, that's not what he does. He talks about being such a loner, and yet he's everybody's confidant and therapist. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really gruff and not playful at all, so yeah, I think he does indeed have a regular weekend gig of jumping out of cakes. Well, he, he specifically drops in uninvited on people to give relationship advice. Oh, Logan, you contain multitudes. And are contained by multitudes of cakes. I mean, briefly. Anyway, in an alley in England labeled Secret Hideout, that's S-E-E-K-R-I-T-H-Y-D-E-O-W-T, the crazy gang is scheming. Wait, who's the crazy gang? It's been so long since we've seen them, I feel like I, I hardly even remember them. That's a lie. I remember them in vivid detail, but for the sake of our listeners who are unfamiliar with them or may have forgotten, uh, we should probably reintroduce those folks. Little podcast trick there where we ask each other questions that we actually know the answers to. Hmm. You can use that one. Anyway, yes, the Crazy Gang, they are a group of Alice in Wonderland-themed villains. Uh, they were originally created by Mad Jim Jaspers on Earth-238, then the Jim Jaspers of Earth-616 made his own version— Villains may be a bit pointed for them. They're they're broadly kind of 
easily easily led astray, but I don't think they're inherently villainous. Uh, no, they're just sort of inherently bumbling henchmen. They they hench. They're chaotic. They are chaotic. They're exceptionally chaotic. Uh, we haven't seen them since Excalibur number 54, where they stayed in an Alice in Wonderland alternate reality, along with Joy Boy of Technet, another great team we'll get to, and the inhabitants of a deserted English village, and they all lived idyllically. For some, for some real-time context, that means it's been at least five years in real time since they've appeared in a comic book before now. Yep, long time. Uh, anyway, not that it's going to be that important, but I love the crazy gang, so let's talk about who's on the team. Alright, we've got the Red Queen, who only ever says, OFF WITH HIS HEAD! There's Tweedledope, who's a stocky blue guy, huh, maybe it was him in the cake on the cover, in a schoolboy outfit who's like a weird inventor, but only ever says, yuck, and doesn't seem very smart aside from the weird inventions. Their self-proclaimed leader, the Jester, who is, is, uh, not actually their leader. And the easily manipulated armored Knave, who is also convinced he's the leader. Finally, and most variably, there's the Executioner, a silent robe axe-wielding figure, the deadliest of the crazy gang. The first executioner was a robot, the second was a briefly brainwashed Rachel Summers, and the third is someone new. Yeah, because there is someone new wearing that characteristic green robe and holding that characteristic weird axe, and this person is trying to convince the rest of the crazy gang to get revenge on Excalibur, specifically by killing Captain Britain. Which takes us to Stately Braddock Manor, where everyone has gathered to celebrate Captain Britain and Megan's upcoming wedding. Well, almost everyone, because remember that thing we said in the previously on section about how Megan had a crush on Colossus and she was all embarrassed about it and didn't tell Captain Britain? Colossus himself feels pretty shitty about this, too. I mean, he never had a crush on Megan, but he feels responsible for all of this. So he's sitting there in the theater at Stately Braddock Manor, because remember, the Braddocks are very rich, watching Casablanca, specifically the end, where Rick tells his ex-lover Ilsa that they'll always have Paris, but she should really go to her future partner and not stay with him. I mean, it, it's a little on the nose, especially since Colossus and Megan just went to Paris. Yeah, but it was terrible. It's true, it didn't go well at all. Arcade was there. I don't think Arcade was in Casablanca, but I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the whole middle section. Oh, damn, maybe it was in the director's cut. Well, anyway, Colossus is worried that if Megan doesn't tell Captain Britain, if that secret remains, then he himself will be complicit in what he sees as deception in this, like, newly married life that they're gonna have together. Buddy, it is not on you at all. Like, I will, I will say, you know, it is understandable that Colossus sees a fuck-up in romance and assumes it's his fault, because most of his are. Yeah, his history's not amazing. But this one is not, and this one is not his responsibility to disclose, either. Well, he mopes anyway. As for the woman he's partially moping about, Megan, she herself is also trying to figure out how to bring this thing up. She's talking to herself in a mirror, sort of going through all the potential scenarios, but Captain Britain shows up, and he's, like, just so chill and happy, and Eaglesham really does get across people's emotional states really well in their body language and their faces. Like, not the most—not uh, my favorite artist overall, but I think a good fit for this. He also understands the single most important thing about drawing Excalibur, which is that Nightcrawler should always be the sexiest character on the page. Oh, god yes, god yes. Like, he's very, very consistent about that. As well he should be. So Captain Britain has a surprise for Megan. He has no idea of what's going through her head. He just wants her to have a good time, and so he brings her to a surprise bridal shower with all of the various ladies who have been affiliated with Excalibur, or at least, you know, a lot of them. We've got Shadowcat, we've got Wolfsbane, we've got Moira McTaggart, and we've got Linda McQuillan. One of these things is not like the others. Linda McQuillan, that is Captain UK, another member of the Captain Britain Corps. She was originally the Captain Britain of Earth-238, that's the one we mentioned for a second, where Mad Jim Jaspers made the first crazy gang. That reality was completely destroyed, it was annihilated. But she survived, and she ended up uh, becoming the Captain Britain of Earth-839 after a stopover in Earth-794 to defeat the villainous despot Satire-9. There's a lot of multiverse. Oh god, there's so much. Anyway, Linda McQuillan's fucking great. I love Captain UK. She hasn't showed up very much in a long time. It's lovely to see her back. Um, after Captain Britain leaves, Megan immediately talks through her guilt with her friends, most of whom tell her to just, you know, just tell him and get it over with. And 
it's Kitty who finally convinces her because Kitty says that she lost her own relationship because she wasn't able to talk about her feelings until it was too late, which is weird because she confessed to her feelings almost immediately, which was what actually ended up the relationship. Yeah, it was it was a believable breakup, but one of the ways her breakup with, in this case, Pete Wisdom was believable uh, was that it was really all about bad logic and inconsistent communication and misassigning blame and guilt. Meanwhile, the fellas, those being Captain Britain, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Douglock, and Mimic, are in what is presumably the club room or the study or whatever room of the Braddock Manor looks like a fancy gentleman's club, um, with vodka and cigars making toasts. Uh, Douglock, who is now comic relief character, insists his alien physiology can handle the booze and promptly passes out, because that's really Douglock at this point in a nutshell. I am sad to say this will actually become a plot point, kind of. But this is interesting because they're definitely drinking vodka. I mean, Douglock gets, like, alien robot drunk, and uh, it's mentioned that it is vodka. Captain Britain is an alcoholic. He has been avoiding alcohol for a very, very long time. I mean, I remember back in that famous pub issue of Excalibur, uh, 91, I think, um, he mentioned to someone he's secretly drinking non-alcoholic beer. So I feel like he's not going to be deceiving his friends at his own bachelor party. Uh, uh, What do you think here, Jay? Do you think he has, like— fizzy water or something or is he just making an exception i would like to think that he is drinking exquisitely crafted artisanal shirley temples i mean that sounds pretty great actually shirley temples they're they're tasty oh shirley temples are fucking delicious but no i i assume i assume that he's just drinking something else oh okay well fair but uh it's lovely and like it's also super gendered i mean uh even captain uk is annoyed at how gendered the bridal shower is But the thing with Captain Britain and Megan is, is that they're pretty damn gendered. They are a very traditionally heterosexual couple. And, you know, I don't think that should be the only option people have in the world. But for these two, that's just how they are. It seems to work pretty well for them, at least usually. Although Captain UK has taken matters into her own hands and uh, convinced a fellow member of the Captain Britain Corps, whom we don't see, he never actually shows up, to come and strip for them. I'm gonna owe Privateer Albion for this favor. Roma bless his exhibitionist soul. Anyway, back in Boys Club land, Mimic carries the unconscious teenage robot Douglock upstairs to Brian's old bedroom. This is where Brian grew up. I'd like to note at this point that Mimic has grown his beard back since Excalibur shaved it between panels. You know, I really wish he still had the giant goddamn mustache. Like, don't get me wrong, he looks good with long hair and a beard. I really can't complain about that look. That's basically my look. But you don't see too many giant goddamn mustaches without beards. Miles, he's been through enough. Let him have his beard. Okay, fine. Calvin Rankin, you can have your beard. Anyway, he looks around Brian's room and sees all these pictures of friends and family and heroic history— And he thinks about how great it must be to actually have people that you're close to, to actually get to be a hero. And it's just this little mention, it's just a couple of panels, but much like some of the stuff at the end of X-Factor, it kind of makes me wish we'd gotten to know the Mimic better in this era. Like, if he had stayed on as a member of Excalibur, if the team had kept going, I think he would have actually been a really interesting fit. Yeah, that's something we're going to get to at more length, actually, in the listener questions, Um, but I agree. So, Captain Britain is being all brotacular with Colossus. It is seriously so freaking just masculine in here. And I say that with both admiration and a little bit of terror. But Colossus is super on edge. Like, he armors up when he's startled by Captain Britain while looking at a beach picture of Brian and Megan. I too fear beaches. Right. Brian says, Something on your mind, old boy? Uh, What makes you say that? Alcoholic's intuition. The face you're wearing usually means something's wrong. I think there's something gnawing away inside you. Something you need to get out. Badly. I... I do not know how to say this. And then they kiss. No, they don't. I... I do not know how to say this on the eve of your wedding, no less, but... While you were gone, I... I fell for Megan. I loved her. I... I'm sorry. Really? Well, shit. Uh, that's really tense, so let's see what the crazy gang's up to. The crazy gang is bickering their way through the bushes outside Braddock Manor. Um, they're just kind of as ridiculous as ever, and, um, amid the chaos, their mystery leader just 
goes ahead and rings the doorbell. Captain UK figures this must be the aforementioned stripping privateer Albion, but, uh, no. The crazy gang just sort of tumbles through the open door into Braddock Manor, all brawling with each other and dragging all of the women at the bridal shower into the brawl as well, and all is glorious, glorious chaos. This right here is exactly what Excalibur should be. But privateer Albion is not the only missing stripper. Because Nightcrawler has arranged for... Another stripper. I, I'm going to presume that the stripper is also a member of the Captain Britain Corps, and that's that's just how Excalibur rolls. Um, to jump out of a cake at at the bachelor party, um, but we, the readers, see that that stripper is is bound with with magical ties um, in a cupboard. And so the crazy gang's executioner has, it turns out, snuck off in the chaos to get inside that cake after uh, binding up the real stripper and bursts out, death-like green robe uh, flapping into the cake-strewn wind, axe held high. Which doesn't last very long, because someone immediately reaches up and pulls off his robe um, to reveal, A, that he's not wearing anything under it, and B, that this is the return of none other than Farron. Remember Farron? Fucking Farron. Farron! Oh, Farron was the best at being the worst. Excalibur got a bunch of new members earlier in the 90s. There was Cerise, there was Kyle, and there was even Micromax briefly. And there was Farron. Farron is a, I don't know, maybe teenaged boy, maybe very young adult. Uh, he's got little elf ears. He doesn't ever touch the ground. He just hovers. He's kind of a wizard. And his deal is that he was supposed to be the host of the Phoenix Force, because one of his great-great-great ancestors, also named Farron, was, like, in antiquity. And he was raised by monks explicitly and exclusively to be the host of the Phoenix Force. This is what he has spent his whole life preparing for. And he showed up, and it was with Rachel Summers and had no interest in him. And so he was just really annoyed and petty and petulant and critical toward the whole team for a long-ass time. He did join the team, but he was just, like, an adorable bag of dicks, basically. If you've ever seen Steven Universe, he's basically Peridot, um, except that he never finds his, his fellow farm lesbian to go off and bond with. Thanks to listener Devin for that one. So freaking true. So... When Excalibur, around issue number 70 and 71, became much more of an X-specific book, a lot of the non-mutant characters were written out. As far as how Farron was written out, well, Megan at this point was grieving her partner Captain Britain, who'd been lost in the time stream like we mentioned, another victim of the uh, more mutant-like focus on the book. And when Farron went to comfort her, her empathic powers messed with his magical identity, and he also became a grieving water elemental and became catatonic. During that time, Kitty had to go to the U.S. because Ileana was dying, and she'd thought about asking Inspector Di Thomas to check in on, on Megan and Farron, but she didn't, and so he didn't. And then um, Excalibur moved to Muir Island and, and left Farron behind. Yeah, like, uh, Megan was there on Muir Island being treated after being catatonic, and Farron wasn't really mentioned very much. Like, he was mentioned before that, that he was with Megan, and then once Megan was there, nobody said the name Farron ever again, until this issue. He was literally completely forgotten by everybody writing Excalibur and every other Marvel comic, and thus by all of the characters who had been on a team with him for, like, kind of a while. So, the naked Farron sheepishly tells his tale about how he got from being made of water and catatonic with Megan to naked half-embedded in a cake after trying to murder Captain Britain. Specifically, it's real simple. When he was made of water, the tide washed him away. And so he just ended up in some random city where the crazy gang happened to be. And he planned. If I was to have my revenge, I would need allies. Sycophantic lackeys who would fall upon my every command and worship the ground above which I must forever hover. I got the crazy gang instead. He was just, like, so mad initially. He had lived his whole life in preparation of bonding with the Phoenix Force, and then that didn't happen. And then he was just forgotten. He was just forgotten by the only friends he really had. 
The irony is that after this story, he will once again be forgotten and remain so to this day. Yeah, we were trying to find if Farron ever shows up again after these two issues, and I, I don't think he does. He does not. He does not. Everyone forgot about him immediately after the end of Excalibur. Poor bastard. Marvel, do better. Just just throw him on a team. You have so many teams. Throw him on one of them. Let him crash another wedding. Burst out of a cake. He could maybe, oh, maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe he started a new career. It turned out he really got a taste for it, yeah. It was true calling. It wasn't the Phoenix Force at all. It was bursting naked out of cakes. Yep. With an axe. With an axe. But Excalibur is, like, really understanding and apologetic and nice to him. Well, actually, they're not apologetic. They're just nice to him. They should be apologetic, but they're just nice to him. And they tell him that, no, it's it's normal to have to keep learning, to have to, like, have your life's path change a whole bunch of times, and that it's trying to become better that makes you special, not any kind of inherent magical potential. And this is enough. He is thrilled. He's not a nobody. He's somebody. And he promptly flies up in joy and smashes his head through the ceiling. And then he goes and makes a farm with a lot of artwork. <laughs> yep. So everyone gets together, having all made up. There's the men and the women of Excalibur and their friends, the crazy gang, Farron. Uh, in the background, Captain UK is flirting, like, so hard with Mimic. It's delightful. And uh, Lockheed is flirting with the uh, the female stripper, the other one, because Excalibur. Lockheed's a little weird. Lockheed's always been a little weird. But encouraged by Kitty, Megan finally does go talk to brian she gathers her courage and starts the conversation but he already has a conversation that he wants to have with her so yes that's the end of the issue and this this is great this is silly nonsense this is like weirdly wholesome sexiness it's all sorts of character drama this is excalibur distilled i genuinely love this issue which brings us to the final issue of excalibur number 125 tying the knot this is written by Ben Robb, penciled by Dale Eaglesham, inked by Scott Hanna, colored by Kevin Tinsley, and lettered by Richard Starkings, and Comicraft and Emerson Miranda. The cover's really fun. It's Captain in Britain. It's Captain Britain in costume and Megan in a wedding dress, like holding each other and smiling and looking all picture perfect. And in the background, it's just Excalibur in their formal wear, brawling with Technet and with the crazy gang, like all just tackling each other. Which is good. It, it's a very Excalibur-feeling cover, although it makes me kind of sad that they couldn't get Alan Davis just for the very end. Yeah, yeah, that would have been appropriate. He was absolutely the iconic Excalibur artist, like, and hell, one of the iconic writers as well. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, I think the the Davis-Davis run is the best of Excalibur. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Claremont Davis run's amazing, but I think I might be there with you. I love the written and drawn by Davis part. So this is a double-size issue, um, and we open with a hungover and totally amnesiac Douglock being summoned to the wedding by Widget. Widget? Holy crap, we haven't seen Widget in a million years. Jay, how do we even begin to briefly summarize Widget? Widget is the mind of an alternate universe, much older Kitty Pride stuck in a weird little robot head who was loftest in the time stream with Captain Britain between Excalibur 67 and 68, and has now reappeared. Uh, yeah, this is the second version of Widget, so not like just the round metal head, but the sort of more like robot head and shoulders with kind of a holographic, other dimensional body silhouette. Uh, anyway, this really does give us a feel for what we're going to see, which is a great deal of cameos, like this gigantic walk through so much of Excalibur's history. We don't do, we don't go into great depth with very much of it, but it is rare to think of a character who is significant in Excalibur who does not appear in this issue. Now, I'm going to completely skip the Douglock plotline in this issue because, frankly, it doesn't really deserve to be acknowledged. That's fair. I mean, I think the only real redeeming quality is that because Douglock doesn't remember anything about anything, he's just sort of thrown in media's rest into the situation, and that sort of throws us into, oh, we're in Otherworld. Oh, the wedding is about to happen, like, right now. Oh, we never found out what happened with Captain Britain and Megan and Colossus. Obviously something. So they are all on Otherworld for Captain Britain and Megan's wedding. And there are a ton of guests, including, bafflingly, as I mentioned earlier, Nazi Excalibur. 
This is the version, I guess, Lightning Squad. This is the version of Excalibur from an Earth where where Germany won World War II. And they are straight-up Nazis, one of whom has literally attempted to rape the bride. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, their version of Kitty Pride is a ghost who, I guess, died in the Holocaust and yet is sort of pressed onto the team. It's very dark. And when we were covering early Excalibur... It was always kind of a balancing act as to whether these characters were better additions to the story than they were extremely uncomfortable. And I think in this issue, like, yeah, I know we want to bring back almost everybody who's ever been an Excalibur, but Nazi Excalibur? Really? Like, they're horrible. I know one of them is one of the official Captain Britons, and, like, maybe if you're having a wedding in Otherworld, you have to invite all the Captain Britons, but you don't have to invite, like, the rest of the terrible team. Maybe just invite Ghost Kitty. She, she's had a really terrible life and death, so maybe something nice would be nice for her. Yeah, like, who sits down when they're addressing invitations and is like, let's invite the Nazi alternate universe versions of ourselves? Who does that? Oh, man, I don't know. I can only assume they just came along for the ride with all the other Captain Britain Corps, because in addition to all of the cameos, which I am so excited to talk about, we also have the entire Captain Britain Corps, which is, you know, almost an infinite amount of Captain Britons from the infinite amount of dimensions. So we're not covering all of them, but uh, here is a small list which we will go through very quickly. Captain UK, Captain England, Crusader X, Captain Kimru, Sister Gaia, Centurion, Britannus, Chevalier Breton, Friar Albion, Lady London, Justice Sir Bull, Captain Empire, Captain Saxonia, Officer Saxon, Captain Britain, who is Kimri, Nightcrawler's X from the Cross Time Cap- Caper, Captain Britain, who's an alternate Lockheed, Britannatron, and Hauptman England, who is, of course, the Nazi Captain Britain. Yeah, so uh, that, that's a few. There, there's just so many people here, it's amazing. But that's not all. Who else have we got on the guest list, Miles? Oh, so many people. I think part of why I'm so sweet on this issue, aside from it just being about love and very earnest, which I'm always a sucker for, is that it's just a trip down memory lane. We don't go into very much depth with most of these characters, but it's just so nice being reminded of Excalibur's wonderful history. As much as this is a conclusion to Excalibur, it's also a tribute to the series that's come before. I have to give Ben Robb that. Like, a lot of writers would just throw their own pet characters in there as the focus. I'm sure Warren Ellis would have done that with Pete Wisdom, for instance. And Rob is, in large part, just happy to say, hey, this is the book I've been doing for a while, but it's been a lot even before I started. So, of course, we have the Crazy Gang. They were just here. They're still having a good time. We've got my favorite of Excalibur's longtime frenemies, Technet. Yes, uh, Technet, run by Gatecrasher, the mercenaries who... Too long a story for this episode, but are technically Doctor Who characters. Also technically members of Excalibur at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were for a while, at least briefly. Uh, the Endmen, specifically. There are Gabriel and Michael from the RCX, that's the Resources Control Executive, and they were on strike before that, before Excalibur was even a comic, back when they were just in Captain Britain's comics. Right, they worked with the Warpies, and wasn't Gabriel briefly engaged to Psylocke? Yes, at the end of the big uh, Captain Britain run that was before Excalibur, uh, Psylocke, who had lost her eyes thanks to Slaymaster, and before didn't yet have robot eyes thanks to Mojo, um, she was engaged to Gabriel. They they went skiing. Um, it was actually really sweet, and it's never been mentioned again, so I guess it didn't work out, but um, presumably at least it wasn't full enough of animosity for them to complain about it a lot. Speaking of long-term Excalibur frenemies, we've got Inspector Die Thomas still in his rumpled trench coat because apparently he just has the one outfit. Or, or he has an entire closet full of rumpled detective outfits that are identical, and he, like, has an anti-iron that he anti-irons them with. Ah, and this is his formal one. Uh, yes, it's, of course, visually identical to the rest of them, but he has it off to the left. There's Horatio Cringebottom and Bert from the Ministry of Cross-Time Transport Regulation Monitor and Control Sanction Implementation Department. They showed up, like, super briefly uh, in Alan Davis's writing run, I think maybe even in his first issue. And here they are. They're fun. Bert takes a picture of some characters and tells everyone to say cross-time caper. Well, they're officially the wedding photographers. Uh, they are, yes, they are. It's a delight. We've got um, the awful Nigel Orpington-Smythe from the RCX, and speaking of awful, Arcade is here. And uh, Miss Locke, his assistant, who, you know, he killed a while back, so I guess must be a robot. Because who doesn't invite Arcade and robot Miss Locke to their wedding after briefly teaming up with them after a murder attempt in Paris at a theme park? 
Well, also, remember, the first Captain Britain and Spider-Man story uh, in Marvel Team-Up, I think, was an arcade story, so he's an important part of Brian's history. A a murdery part, but, you know, I mean, they invited Nazis here, so... Yeah, yeah, the bar is low. And not everybody's physically here, but old allies Captain America, the Black Knight, and Spider-Man send some nice holographic well-wishes. There in person are Alistair Stewart and Rory Campbell, both from the Weird Happenings organization and both formerly of Excalibur. As Alistair seeing Kitty paired with Colossus in the wedding party bemoans, I'll never understand Kitty's taste in men, Rory. What she sees in brutes like Rasputin and boars like Pete Wisdom is beyond me. She used to have a crush on me, you know. Rory Campbell, um, is, is a continuity mess of his own. We are next going to see him as Apocalypse's Horseman of Famine in 1999. Interestingly, we know that Rory Campbell was always destined to become the villain Ahab in the future, and, like, we never directly see whether that happens or not, just random little continuity notes, but it is nice to have him remembered here, Alistair remembered here, also important Excalibur characters. They don't get much screen time, but they're here. Uh, we've also got other former members of Excalibur all sitting together. Those are Cerise, Kylan, Micromax, and Daytripper. Oh man, Cerise, Kylan, and Micromax from that pre-X-Characters-only transition. We haven't seen most of them since the big reshuffle in issue 70. I mean, Cerise we saw briefly in the 95 Starjammers miniseries working for Lalandra, because she had been accused of crimes and that was her penance. But Kylan, yeah, we haven't seen him since he left in 1993. Uh, he mentions here that uh, his mission to find his real parents after that, um, it turned out that uh, they had just gone on vacation. And so then they got back and now he just lives with his parents and his life's really boring, which is sad but funny. It's extremely funny, because he was he was this extra-dimensional, very Edgar Rice Burroughs warrior. Yeah, yeah, and now he's just, you know, eating three square meals a day and presumably having his parents bug him to get a job. Um, Micromax uh, left the team off-panel after um, Excalibur number 70, and he more most recently has been laid off by the Brand Corporation. Yeah, the two characters bemoan leading far too normal lives after their super-heroic histories. Uh, Daytripper, it's um, Amanda Sefton... Also Jemaine Sardos, um, also Nightcrawler's foster sister and girlfriend, it's, it's, it's complicated, um, is, is a more recent departure. She left the team after her mother switched their bodies and got her body occupied by Amanda's mind, captured by Belasco, the Lord of Limbo, while Margali in Amanda's body uh, attempted to take over the mystic universe. Anyway, Daytripper's back in her own body, and she's here attending the wedding and, like, bickering with Cerise about who should actually be Nightcrawler's girlfriend. Uh, it's a whole thing. Which is weird, because she is actually Nightcrawler's girlfriend. Yeah. And again, and then there's Nazi Excalibur, which I'm just gonna keep harping on because it bothers me so much, and also because they keep on being the fucking focus of panels. Yeah, like, they don't, they don't do or say very much, but they're very visible in crowd scenes, you know? And and when they do, like, they're being featured for wacky laughs. And this kind of epitomizes what I dislike about Ben Robb's brand of nostalgia. Like, you were talking about really loving all the cameos, and I have mixed feelings because I feel like he references past stuff continually, but never quite seems to catch or care or never manages to convey that he catches or cares why it resonated in the first place. So it feels like callbacks for the sake of callbacks, which cheat both the present and the past. So I'll totally agree with you about Lightning Force, about Nazi Excalibur with that. The rest of it, I don't know, the rest of it works for me. I think it does get to the heart, for the most part, of these characters' deals and their interactions with Excalibur and their role in history. And I think most importantly, we haven't really gotten to the actual wedding itself yet, but that right there does work. I think, at the very least, what this issue primarily sets out to do, which is to be a capstone of Captain Britain and Megan's story, I think it totally succeeds at. And so, maybe that's why I'm inclined to just be more charitable to the whole thing, but for me, Nazis aside, I think this issue works. Nazis aside, eh? Nazis aside. Uh... Anyway, let's move on to something a little less awkward. Remember that whole thing where there was the big secret and lie with Captain Britain and Megan and Colossus? Uh, We actually find out how that went, and it went weirdly well. Yeah, so um, Captain Britain realized that Peter had lied, and it was Megan who had had feelings for him, not vice versa, and he's totally cool about it. Go Brian. 
Megan is, is, is really prepared for this to just blow everything up. I should have come forward about this sooner. I know that now. I, I wanted to tell you the truth, but I was afraid how you'd react. I've ruined everything, haven't I? The, the wedding. Us! You must hate me now. Never. I'm sorry I ever left your side. Forgive me? And that's it. It's fine after that. Everybody's okay with everybody. Because that's the thing. Captain Britain and Megan have come so far. She was a naive monster girl when we first met her. Captain Britain was a full-of-himself, often alcoholic jerkwad. And, like, they've grown as people and they've grown as a couple. So when they're really hit with this trial by fire, they're prepared for it. And it's fine. And they get to be happy. And they get married. And Nightcrawler's the best man and has to teleport away to fetch the ring, but everything works well, and it's really beautiful. Like, we cut between the otherworldly, heh, uh, majesty of the ceremony and all the characters talking to each other. This book really takes advantage of the extra page count. It's got this leisurely, relaxed, fun feel that feels like a good wedding. Yeah, yeah, I can buy that. I am not fond of the Cer Cerise and Day Tripper fighting over Nightcrawler continually in the background. That's bizarre. Yeah, it's not my favorite. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Let's jump to the bouquet. Uh, Kitty, who is the only person who does not want to go for the bouquet, accidentally catches it after a brawl breaks out. It's delightful! Like, Day Tripper and Cerise are still bickering, which whatever, but the Red Queen bonks Wolfsbane with her scepter, and Psylocke ninja kicks G Gatecrasher as Gatecrasher briefly catches the bouquet and says, I have the means! The next husband will be mine! Oh, Gatecrasher, she's my favorite hippo lady, super strong, amoral mercenary leader who's a Doctor Who character, technically. She should have got to keep the bouquet. The next husband would be hers. Piotr, of course, catches the garter via intervention from Lockheed. Oh, the irony. Yeah, Lockheed clearly is trying to set Kitty and Colossus back up. Lockheed, that, that doesn't go well. Well, to be fair, the next ex-wedding, I'm pretty sure, um, at least of the folks who are here, since Storm and Black Panther and North Star and Kyle aren't, uh, will be Colossus and Kitty, or it uh, almost will be, because that does not go great. Yeah, Nightcrawler gives an excellent toast. Lila Cheney, uh, one of very few professional singers in the Marvel Universe, sings at the reception. Um, Cerise and Amanda continue to fight over Nightcrawler. Kitty dances with Alistair Stewart. Pete Wisdom drinks at home while contemplating a weirdly tiny wedding invitation. Seriously, that thing is like the size of a playing card folded in half. Hey, you know how expensive wedding invitations are. You cut corners where you can. Captain Britain is really rich. Well, also frugal, apparently. Saturnine propositions Captain Britain, who rejects her, because it's his fucking wedding, Saturnine. Come on! And Brian and Betsy, remember, siblings, I mean, she's one of the maids of honor, uh, are vaguely sad that their brother Jamie Braddock is both too evil and too comatose to attend. You invited Nazi Excalibur! Well, I guess they at least weren't comatose. Um, and Kurt, Kitty, and Pyotr tell Captain Britain and Megan that, well... They're all going to be going back to the X-Men. Yeah, yeah, Nightcrawler even apologizes for bringing this up on such a happy occasion, but this is something that Nightcrawler and Colossus and Shadowcat have been talking about for a while, Nightcrawler especially. Nightcrawler feels so shitty about ha not having been able to help during Operation Zero Tolerance and Onslaught. So this doesn't come out of nowhere, and I guess the last issue of the book is an appropriate place to put it, but it is genuinely sad this is a lovely ending in most ways, Nazis, again, aside, but it's an ending, and endings are inherently sad. This book that we've loved so much, that's had so many highs and so many lows, this is it. And what started the book, three mutants coming from the X-Men to Excalibur, now it goes in the other direction. Back they go. Also, it turns out that Merlin was lurking around the whole time. Uh, yeah, we thought Merlin was dead, like, jerk-manipulative wizard, and his daughter Roma fully took over. Um, but no, they both watch this, and they talk about whether this is fate or what. Uh, they each have assumed that Excalibur breaking up was the other's machinations at work, and it turns out, no, no, this is free will for once. Roma tells her dad, But this is a terrible tragedy. Should we not intervene? Nay, 
though the sword we two so craftily forged hath been sheathed for now, it may yet be drawn anew when the time is right. Someday. And that's Excalibur. That is Excalibur. Captain Britain and Megan are happily married. They will remain happily married. Um, some disappearing into the multiverse here and there aside. Our X-Men are heading back, and that's it. Uh, we'll get to what happens to the rest of the characters in the upcoming episode we mentioned, the retrospective about Excalibur and X-Factor, but wow, I I don't know. It sounds like we have kind of different takes on this. I, I really liked this as a conclusion. I agree that there were a couple parts that I wish had been different, but overall I think it worked, but what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think it's a fairly solid landing. Um, the places, you know, it, it Rob's problem in throughout his run yeah, I, I talked about the nostalgia issue, but it's also that he is referencing runs that are far better. And that's not entirely his fault. That's These are just really, really, really superlative, pretty damn close to perfect comics. So you get sort of the, the, the conundrum of, of automatically evoking a better comic while you're reading the current one. There is some of that, I suppose. But for me, I think it evoked it well. It felt like Excalibur in all the ways I wanted the conclusion to feel like Excalibur. And I think for me, that's enough. You know, overall, this wasn't one of my favorite runs of the book, but it was pretty good. And I think like Howard Mackey's X-Factor, or for that matter, Chuck Austin's X-Men, had it not been the book that it was, had it been an independent book, I think it would have been pretty good. Uh... But if you're going to end something like this with this much history, with this many connections, if you're going to end it in a way that mirrors kind of what started it, the relationship of Captain Britain and Megan, then yeah, let's have this be a journey into memory, a journey into nostalgia. And with that, listeners, you've got questions. Tassrel asks on Tumblr, what is Kurt's best outfit in Excalibur? It is the turtleneck sweater, because it is both unexpected and perfect. I'm trying to think of a different answer, and uh, yeah, you're you're right. That turtleneck he wears in The Sword is Drawn is perfection. Gareth Streeter asks on Tumblr, If there is an infinite number of alternate universes, does that mean that, somewhere out there, there's a universe where the X-Men explain Jay and Miles? I think there is, and I want to live in that universe. Let's call it Earth-239. I love this. Okay, so Gareth, in episode 267, Lo These Many Moons Ago, uh, Jay and I officially established that the podcast Earth, so that's like the Earth where Super Doctor Astronaut Peter Corbeau and Harvey and Janet are the big deals we know them to be, and Shinobi Shaw totally knows what sex is, and Warren Kenneth Worthington III is literally an actual hawk, that is Earth 441. But that's not what you're describing. You're not describing podcast continuity Earth. You're describing the X-Men explaining me and Jay, which I'm very flattered by, and I, I want to stay humble about this. So you suggested Earth-239, and that actually does exist. Uh, that was in Loki's multiversal passport in Kieran Gillen's Young Avengers and is labeled as a Fury containment area. I'd like to think that the Fury in question is Nick Fury, not the robot named the Fury. Oh yeah, maybe that dimension's like a really fun playpen that Nick Fury goes to and hangs out in while he's he's off duty. They let him, you know, run and, and play spy games. Oh, like with, you know, guns that fire little plungers and ball pits are often involved. Aw. I would go there. Uh, so we can't use Earth-239, and I would say we should then turn Earth-441 backward and have it be Earth-144, but that's actually the temporary reality number given by the Marvel database to the Hulk newspaper comic continuity. So instead, let's turn Earth-441 sort of inside out and call this one Earth-114. So there we go, Earth-114, where the X-Men explain Jay and Miles. I'm Scott Summers. And I'm Kamala Khan. And we are here to explain Jay and Miles. Because it's about time someone did. And look, it's a bonus third question. Piper8823 asks on Tumblr, if Excalibur had continued, Mimic would have likely been a regular member. Who else would you have liked to see join the team at that time? Ooh, this is a fascinating question, because they're losing most of the team at this point, so there's a lot of space to really reshape it. So I would make up a team from supporting characters who'd worked with them over the course of the run. So Farron, obviously, my, my trash son will be on this team. 
Um, let's <laughs> see. I would would yeah, Kylan obviously has a lot of free time these days. Uh, Cerise, maybe Captain UK on and off. I don't know if she'd necessarily be a regular member, but she would at least be a, a recurring um, ally. Uh, Alistair Stewart, at least one Warpy. Um, yeah, this team is super unbalanced, and I, for one, enjoy it. Okay, you know, that's actually an excellent lineup. I, I love it. I love that there's at least some Captain Britain Corps presence on there. I think there needs to be. But I'm going to throw another character in there, the much-derided Gossamer from New Mutants, like the alien who was trying to seduce all the boys, and it turns out her race was a bunch of spider people. I think she would be a super fun addition to an Excalibur team, and maybe she could be less of a pain in the ass, or at least an entertaining pain in the ass. Fair enough. We are an entirely listener-supported podcast, and some of those tiers of support come with acknowledgement on the show from a range of fictional characters and concepts, and today the microphone goes to the tragically forgotten Farron. Listen, crazy gang, I've been working on this revenge plot for a long time, so do not mess this up for me, okay? All of those things you do, just just don't, don't do any of them. Okay, here goes. <clears throat> Too long have I waited to avenge myself upon you, Danny Chef. And now, as I burst through the wall of your Employee of the Month award ceremony, you will learn the peril of... of forgetting your old friend, Farron! You may be the Employee of the Month, but you're the friend of... of never! Now, prepare to die. As soon as I... Oh, no, I'm, I'm stuck in the wall debris. X-Factor makes this look so easy... Fine, you've earned a reprieve today, but I'll be back. Okay, okay, let's try another. Shoykovsky, you traitor. Submit, and your death shall be a quick one. I've hovered far indeed to make it to your Labor Day barbecue in my perfect trench coat and fedora disguise, but it is I, Farron, who you forgot all about, possibly because you were too busy being excited about... Corn on the cob or whatever. We were supposed to be friends and you didn't even invite me. Or try to figure out why I disappeared for years. So your last living thought shall be of me as... Ah, crap, I'm all tangled up in this trench coat. This is so much more complicated than green monastic robes and... Oh, ah, no, I touched the ground. That means the Phoenix Force will find and join with me. Am I ready? Am I... Hello? Phoenix Force? Tchaikovsky? Danny Chef? Crazy Gang? Anyone? And with that... Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is recorded in memory of Farron in Forest Hills, New York, and Portland, Oregon, and produced by Matt Hunter, who also arranged our theme music. You can find more of Matt's work at moon-talk.bandcamp.com. New episodes come out most Sundays on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at explainthexmen.com. Check out explainthexmen.com for visual companions to every episode. Our show is 100% listener-supported. If you'd like to help us stay on the air and ad-free and make sure we don't forget Farron, check out the Patreon link at the top of explainthexmen.com. And please take a moment to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps. Next week, we're off. But in two weeks, we return to the pages of X-Men Unlimited. For some X-Factor denouement.